Welcome, listeners, to Season 6, Episode 11 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we're watching Suspiria from 1977. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to fall a little short of its concept. (laughs) 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 This episode will contain discussion on drink spiking and... I have to say this, how much we actively hated this movie. Uh, we've had some other past episodes. I think the worst one was It Chapter 2, where we just rip into films, and it makes it uh, not so fun for folks to listen to if they really love this movie. And with a film like Suspiria, I figured we should kind of say that in advance. We did not like it. I'm going to be nicer than It Chapter 2, but it is such a well, <laughs> well, uh, I don't know, adorned movie. I don't know what the right word is, that even my of uh, negative speak as well as yours is probably going to rub some people wrong so <laughs> yeah but tell me about this I'm gonna take my first sip very excited I called it mock blood and much like this movie it doesn't look like blood <laughs> as much as I tried <laughs> Ooh, it's like kind of lemonade Ooh, but not lemony that's true there's no lemon in it and as the name suggests as well, uh, it is a mocktail because we haven't done one in a while and I was starting to feel bad about that. So this is one part cranberry juice, two parts grapefruit juice. I find using like the pure, like don't use the juices that are pre-sugared. Oh, that come in like the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It gives you a little bit more control over your sweetness without like just combining two sugary drinks together. Mm-hmm. Um, then a uh, freshly squeezed lime as well as a sugar cube uh, or simple syrup or nothing if you don't want it uh shake all of that up with some ice then pour it in a salted rim glass with just a whole bunch of ice until it's about halfway and then put some uh bubbly water in it we got the co2 thingy the soda stream so i used some of that and again that's uh to just give you some control over the drink put as much or as little as as the sweetener and as the bubbly drink as you want it's incredibly refreshing it kind of looks like the blood color in, in the, the movie without the soda. Yeah. But then when you put it in, it becomes a little bit less that. I also made a whole bunch, so I have a whole glass full of an extra <laughs> one. Um, and I read somewhere that like the salted rim kind of gives it almost like a mojito. Or not a mojito. Almost kind of like margarita. a margarita vibe to it. Yeah. Um, which I think... Uh, this is very margarita-y. That's good. Yeah. I... I struggle with making something that can conceivably be called a mocktail without just being juice. So I think giving some of those um, adult vibes to it in that it is a rimmed salted glass, much as you would have with a margarita, kind of makes it feel more like a margarita. The bright like bubbliness too pierces through the citrus in a really nice way, which there's no real uh, soda water or anything in a typical margarita. But I find that that sort of elevates a mocktail mm. as well. And you used fresh citrus too, like yeah. the act of squeezing a lime. I find that that really elevates a drink. And we have a local place that sells like some pretty quality, almost like pure juice. So I feel like if you walked out of the kitchen at a party, you could pretend that this is a real cocktail <laughs> if you have social anxiety about not drinking around people mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. this looks like you made a drink for yourself and it's all good and it's just nice to enjoy if, if you just want a regular drink yeah thank you so so much to our patrons they 
all of you, they, I'm speaking directly to you, not they, you, you help support the show. And I really appreciate it. Kelly does too. In fact, we talk about it a lot Mm -hmm. because it warms our hearts. And I'm, I don't know why this is coming out in a sarcastic tone because it's not sarcastic at all. Kelly also likes it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean it for real. So thank you (laughs) for real. Nicholas G, Jacob M, Diana S, Ollie A, Aiden T, Jackie V, Roxanne B, Les Represent Podcast, Colleen D, and Aubrielle. Thank you all so, so much. We really, really appreciate your support. Even me. <laughs> Even Kelly. Even Kelly. <laughs> Not just Char, also <laughs> Kelly. The buddy, too. Whoa. <laughs> So this week we watched Suspiria, which premiered on August 12th, 1977. Weirdly, a lot of the shows that we've been doing in order this season have come out like close in date in terms of like month and day, which I thought was funny. It was written by Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi and directed by Dario Argento. I am saying that in a very Canadian accent. This is an Italian movie. Dario Argento? Yeah. Dario Argento. Yes. Is that better? It, I didn't see your uh, fingers pinched together <laughs> waving around in front of your head. Listen, I can make fun of Italians. My grandpa's Italian. It's fine. <laughs> Dario Argento. It stars Jessica Harper. Jessica Harper, the American. <laughs> Jessica Harper. <laughs> as newcomer American student Susie Banyan, Stefania Cassini as curious student and friend Sarah, and Flavio Bucci as blind piano player Daniel. And continuing with our, if you've popped in after a few episodes away, we are diving further into our synopsises that we read so that folks who do not watch the film know a bit more about what's going on. So here is the incredibly long synopsis of a movie that did not have a lot going on in it. Suspiria. (laughs) This was taken off of IMDb and they don't give credit for people who write synopsises like full summaries rather than the quick ones. So I'll never know. But thank you, IMDb. A young American ballet student, Susie Banyan, flies to Germany to attend a prestigious dance academy. On the night of her arrival, there is a torrential downpour. She arrives at the school by taxi, and before she can enter, she witnesses a young blonde girl fleeing the building in a panic. Unable to gain access to the school, Susie gets back into her cab and has the driver take her away. The frightened girl is Pat Hingle, and she flees to a friend's apartment in the nearby town. While alone in the bathroom, she is pulled out of the window onto the roof, stabbed numerous times, and then hanged by a cord when she falls through the brightly colored skylight. The huge pieces of glass and metal that break out of the skylight fall on Pat's friend, killing her by impaling her body and her head in numerous places. Susie goes to the school the next day. Detectives are there investigating Pat's murder. And although Miss Tanner tries to hurry Susie away, she volunteers a few bits of information. It seems as if there's something that she can't remember, some realization that she just can't put her finger on. On her way to class, Susie passes by the cook, who is sitting in the hallway with Madame Blanc's small nephew, Albert. The cook is polishing some silver and she reflects a beam of sunlight at Susie, who immediately begins to feel ill. In class, Miss Tanner keeps pushing Susie to dance. And Susie passes out, bleeding from her nose and mouth. The school doctor puts Susie on a restricted diet that includes cheese, fruit, and a glass of red wine. (gasps) Susie also finds that she's been moved into the dorms without her consent. 
Her dorm room is next to Sarah's, though, and the two become fast friends. As the girls dress for dinner, hundreds of maggots start to fall from the ceiling. Miss Tanner investigates the upper floor and finds that crates of spoiled food have caused the maggot infestation. Madame Blanc apologizes to the girls and arranges for all of them to sleep in the practice hall. A wall of sheets separates the girls from the teachers who are staying with the girls for the night. Susie asks Sarah if the teachers leave in the school, but Sarah tells her that they leave or live in the school. Sorry, but Sarah tells her that they leave at 930 every night. When the girls sleep, a shadowy figure lays down on the other side of the sheet behind Susie and Sarah. The person has a very distinct, raspy, whistling snore, and it frightens Sarah, who wakes Susie up. Sarah tells her about a time last year when she had to sleep in a guest bedroom. Late that night, she had heard the same snoring in the next room. Madame Blanc later told Sarah that the school's directress stayed in that room. So the weird snoring means the directress is now here, which seems suspicious because all the girls have been told that the directress would not return to the school for weeks. The next morning, Sarah asks Miss Tanner if the directress showed up last night, but Miss Tanner denies it. As glasses start, Madame Blanc's young nephew, Albert, is attacked by Daniel, the pianist's guide dog. Enraged, Miss Tanner interrupts class and tells Daniel never to bring the dog back or she'll have it put to sleep. Daniel yells at her and insists his dog would never harm anyone. Miss Tanner throws Daniel's cane to the floor and tells him to get out, humiliating him as he fumbles around trying to find it. Daniel is enraged and makes a veiled threat to Miss Tanner. He is blind, but not deaf. Miss Tanner is furious. That night, after Susie eats her meal, Sarah comes into her room and they listen while the teachers supposedly leave. However, Susie notices that the footsteps are going away from the front door. Therefore, the teachers are not really leaving the school at all, but going someplace else inside. Sarah begins to wonder where they go, but Susie becomes extremely drowsy and can hardly stay awake. Sarah writes down the number of the footsteps as the instructors walk by. Meanwhile, Daniel, who's been out at a bar, leaves with his dog. While in the middle of an empty piazza, his dog begins to bark at something unseen. Daniel begins to become frightened and stops, hearing strange sounds that indicate to him someone else is there. We can also see shadowy figures moving in the distance. As Daniel waits silently, his dog suddenly attacks and kills him, tearing out his throat. Susie and Sarah go for a swim in the pool. Sarah tells Susie all about her friendship with Pat, the girl who was murdered, and how Pat had been taking notes for months about strange occurrences at the school. However, when Sarah is going to show them to Susie that night, the notes are gone. Now she knows that the evil forces in the school are on to her and her time is short. The only thing she has left is the list of footsteps she made. Sarah tries to get Susie to help her, but once again, Susie cannot stay awake, seemingly drugged after dinner. Sarah begins to hear footsteps and flees Susie's room just before an unseen person enters. Sarah escapes to the attic where she is attacked. She cowers from the door, noticing a small window near the ceiling. Stacking several boxes on top of each other, she leaps through the window into the next room. Unfortunately, the small room is filled to the brim with large, unruly bushels of razor wire. She tries to escape to an open door a few feet away, but keeps getting tangled and cut. Just as she is near the door, the killer slices her throat. The next morning, Susie finds Sarah room, Sarah's room empty. Miss Tanner tells Susie that Sarah left early that morning without telling anyone. She meets with a friend of Sarah's, and he tells her that the school was founded by Helena Mark who people thought was a witch. She founded the school for the study of occult sciences and arts. However, Marcos died in a fire and the school was passed down to her favorite pupil who turned it from a school for the occult 
to a dance academy. Susie talks to a colleague as well who specializes in witches. He explains to Susie that witches are negative forces that change events only to do harm. And their goal is to gain personal wealth that can only be achieved by injury to others. He also tells her that a coven of witches can only do magic with the power of their queen. Otherwise, they are harmless. Back at school, Susie finds out that all the students are gone. In her room, she dumps her food out and throws the wine down the sink, which leaves behind a bright thick red coating. Afterwards, she's attacked by a vicious bat that flies in the bathroom window. I'm laughing because it was not vicious. It was very comical. She follows the footstep count and traces the teacher's path and ends up in Madame Blanc's empty office where the footsteps stop due to carpeting. She notices irises painted on the wall in the elaborate grotto illustration that adorns Madame Blanc's office. Suddenly, Susie remembers what she had forgotten that night. When exiting the school, Pat said, The secret I saw behind the door. Three irises. Turn the blue one. Susie turns the blue iris and a hidden door pops open. She sneaks down a hallway, hiding behind a curtain. She sees the entire coven meeting with Madame Blanc, who is sitting on a throne. She and the others discuss how they will kill Susie and conduct a black ritual saying, Queen Helena, give me your power. Susie backs away and stumbles upon Sarah's corpse. She flees into a connecting room and asleep in the bed, obscured by sheer white curtains, is a shadowy figure snoring loudly. The same weird snoring of the directress, whom Susie now realizes is Helena Marcos. In a horrible, raspy voice, Helena speaks to Susie. The American girl, I knew you'd come. You want to kill me. Susie picks up a sharp glass feather from a statue and pulls back the curtain of the bed, only to find it empty. A door slowly opens and Sarah's corpse back to life and wielding a knife, approaches Susie. As lightning strikes, Susie notices a slight outline of Marcos still sitting there on the bed, invisible. Susie stabs her through the neck and Sarah disappears. The burnt features of Marcos become visible as she dies. The weapon has penetrated her through her entire neck and she chokes to death. Things in the bedroom begin to explode and Susie rushes out. As she passes by their meeting room, she sees Madame Blanc, Miss Tanner, and the other teachers all collapsed and bleeding due to the death of Marcos. Susie runs away. Doors explode outwards before she can touch them. Walls crack and break as she passes. Finally, she reaches the exit and walks out into the rain as the house burns behind her. Susie smiles cryptically as she walks away from the school. Perhaps she is simply happy to have escaped. Or perhaps it is, as legend goes, that whoever kills a witch inherits her power. Dun, dun, dun. Hit me with that trailer audio. Roses are red, violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of you. You can hide from Suspiria, but you cannot escape. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. I will say that was great audio for the podcast. That was also a good ass trailer for, for a few reasons. Uh, one, it doesn't tell you what the fuck Suspiria is while also Suspiria. saying Suspiria a lot. Uh, 
<laughs> Two, it included things that had like were not in the movie at all. Like it just had extra scary stuff for the trailer that were kind of vibes. And three, it told you how long the movie's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It made it seem cool. Made it seem like I would want to watch it. That's for sure. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that trailer more than I enjoyed the movie. The whole movie. Yeah. Even the last 12 seconds or 12 minutes, which were the most terrifying <laughs> part of Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, pretty dope trailer. I liked it. Good job. Yeah. All right. Well, p- podcast over. That's the yeah, thing we about. We liked it. Yeah. Remember always Suspiria responsibly. Wow. <laughs> All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So give it to me. Much like you, I went into this movie with very high hopes. It has been on every list ever. We have a poster on our wall of like scratching off movies that we watched and Suspiria's on that. I actually had seen scenes of this movie in school because we were dissecting its composition of this movie, the framing. There's a scene in the beginning where you can see a reflection of her face screaming behind the taxi driver as like subtle horror that I think is supposed to like creep into your mind. and. It's one of those pieces of media that live in a hobby with just absurdly high praise. Like we've, I don't think either of us have ever heard someone recommend Suspiria without saying that it's amazing and great. It's we so gotta see good. It. Yeah. And I don't know. <laughs> the things that I learned about it in school, the the framing, the composition, the, the blocking of scenes, the coloring of, of, of a lot of the sets are all true. I did really enjoy the standout moments of cinematography in this movie. Um, There's a lot of experimentation that you can see just from like how shots are blocked, how like sets are used to evoke a mood, how like characters are positioned in strange ways that you don't really see in other movies. And I think all of those like standout moments were really good. Like there's a shot of them doing ballet. That was really nice. The whole hotel in the beginning where the, woman gets hung is really cool. Even the scene of her like falling, it's all really well done. But then there's 90 more minutes of movie outside of those spectacular moments. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, have you ever seen, there was like an essayist that um, called uh, every frame a painting on YouTube. No, um, they did. I think they were on for like two years and it was basically a series of YouTube videos, uh, essaying like different aspects of, film creation. I rewatched the uh, how to present texting and internet in movies, which is really cool. And there's always like examples of things. And this Mm -hmm. feels like a movie that you can cut a shot or a frame or any visual and put it into an essay and be like, here is a really interesting experimental thing you can do in the context of something you're trying to do with your movie. And that's basically where it ends in my term in, in terms of enjoyment of this movie. I could, someone could have had like an art gallery of a bunch of cool shots from this movie. And I'd be like, that's the right way to enjoy Suspiria. Thank yeah, you. Maybe the audio of that trailer could be playing. Yeah. Suspiria. <laughs> you can run from Suspiria. Ooh, this is a nice shot. Um, I agree with what you're saying. It was very visually striking. That's for sure. You cannot take that away from this movie. I think almost every panel, every shot, every frame had red in it. There was so much red going on. It was very, very bright. There was a lot of red lighting, a lot mm -hmm. of green lighting. Yeah. And those like really contrasting shots. Like there's they're like talking in bed and there's this ominous 
red light or no, I think it was like a blue light or something. There's an ominous insert color light on her. And then an event happens and the lighting completely changes to represent the new feeling. Mm -hmm. Silent movie. Hey, maybe just a bunch (laughs) of cool perspectives and and shots and stuff. I don't know. Even like the the isolation of Daniel walking through the uh, what was it called? Piazza. The piazza. Even Daniel walking through the piazza. It was like very well shot showing just how fucking alone he was in that moment. It was a huge open set. Nobody was there and he was just walking along by himself. So I don't know. I mean, I could go through this entire movie and list the cool shots, but I'm sure you can go online and be like cool shots in Suspiria. And (laughs) that's not why we're here. That's that's me. I enjoyed that part. So yeah, I can't believe that was a a solid good chunk of positive things to say about this movie. Told you I had something. Yeah, I wasn't going in. This is not Easter Bunny kill kill. (laughs) (laughs) My second point, and we have to mention it on this podcast. Go women. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) This movie was all ladies. None of the men in this film did anything of significance. We can kind of assume that Pavlos was the one doing all the killing, but like literally we never focus on that. There are shots of the first woman being killed where like an arm comes out of frame, like comes into frame, stabs and then yanks back. I also would say that there's some argument that it's not just him because the arm kind of changes. And at first I was like, is this maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I think it's because it's like all the witches together because mm. there's like a shot where it's like incredibly hairy. There's a shot where it's like long black glove. There's a shot where it has like incredibly long nails, which we do see on the final witch, the head witch. That's true. So maybe you're right. So then in in that case, I think he was part of the coven. So in that case, Pavlov still doesn't even do like has no main thing going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The school was created and run by women. The motivations, whatever they were, I'm not too sure. (laughs) We're all revolving around the coven and the various teachers. Um, The actual solving of the mystery was done entirely by women, albeit very laterally and in a strange nonsensical way counting the footsteps I guess I don't know kind of made a little (laughs) bit more sense as it went on um and I think the most autonomy we see from a man was when Daniel defends his guide dog Mm. and then like says I've I hear things I know what's going on in this place um but it was so unrelated to the actual plot yeah I have no clue why that like they kind of hint at the witches just wanting to cause shit yeah so maybe that was it, but I which don't. I guess they say in the summary, it's like if they they cause injury to gain wealth or whatever, they can only get wealth by causing random injury to people. Makes sense to start a ballet school, then. Yeah, you hear that hurts. some you hear some horror stories from ballet dancers. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, I was gonna say that I didn't pick up on the motivation of the school mostly because that scene with the magical psychiatrist was lacking any background noise. And I did not realize how much I need a scene to make sense for me to be able to pay attention. It was like just an info dump from this guy talking. So if anything, and they were outside and there was like nothing. Yeah, there was no wind. There was no walla. There was no leaves. There was no nothing. I just did not pick. I couldn't focus and I lost the plot on that one. Um, but I think I sort of checked out a little bit earlier than that. So it didn't really <laughs> matter. But yeah, it was all women. That was cool. Yeah, it's a very feminist. That is movie. true. That is true. Yeah. 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 Powerful women doing powerful murders. 
Do you want to say all your very positive things that I'm sure you have? I do. But <laughs> before I do that, it's time for Whispers from Beyond. This is the part of the show where we read your reviews or messages that you send us and give you the extra special shout out, which because we're always so grateful when people reach out to us on social media, send us an email or give us a review, which Side note, Spotify lets you do reviews now. Whoa. I know a lot of you are listening on Spotify. If you could, we would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, give if us five. Us review. Give, give the Joe Reagan one. Give us five. Joe Reagan? Go, there, go to that J- Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Reagan. Give him one star. Give us five. Yeah. This message just came a few days ago from Lily B on Twitter who says, hello, I'm a listener to this podcast. I love it so much. Thank you. Thanks. I was wondering if you will talk about the horror movie Happy Death Day. (gasps) It came out, I believe, in 2017. I think you need to watch it. It's so good, in my opinion. Thanks. I've legit been wanting to watch that movie. So have I. It has not shown up on our our radar. Or I think, like, it's not... uh, We're creatures of... We're lazy as fuck. Um, So if it doesn't show up on Netflix and we're like, uh... (laughs) I gotta go find it, but um, yes, for you, we will. We will. Yeah. We will. I'm saying it now. I will say probably not this season because it's ending at uh, the end of October, but next season, happy death day. Heck yeah. Which there's also, I think there's at least one, I know at least one sequel. There might be more. And if it's this great, maybe, maybe we'll do them all. Who knows? I heard that the second one was better or at least they're both good, but that one was good. All right. All right. So thank you, Lily. Thank you so much for reaching out. We greatly appreciate it. And thanks for the recommendation. We love getting horror movie recommendations. Sometimes when it's like the middle of the night and we're on a movie watching binge, we just don't know what is pulling at our heartstrings. And we got to go through our list of recommendations. Yeah. I will also add um, for anyone else that wants to give a recommendation, I find that also giving like a trigger warning is good. Mm. Um, we mm-hmm. use does the dog die for anything that we aren't sure about. Um, it's an app that I have that you type in the movie and it lists all the triggers and you can like tag the ones that are significant to you. But uh, I don't know. I try to do that when I recommend horror movies that like, here's a potential trigger, like our big mm-hmm. one or like a significant plot point or something like that. Not to say that this one does, but just a good rule of thumb for anybody. Yeah, Totally. take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. Can you believe that it has been six seasons and they're still with us and have been with us every step of the way? Support the show and this fantastic distillery by trying some of their products. You can get their awesome stuff at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. I did not use anything in this drink since it is a mocktail, but I did drink a lot of their products while they were we were watching this movie because I had to. <laughs> and it helped. They were good. Made the experience better. Evil Amy is once again sponsoring our show. Included in our package were mystery keychains that feature adorable chibi versions of iconic horror characters. This one, we were given two. We opened up and we're super surprised to find one of the twins from The Shining. Yeah. Super cute. Uh, get yours. They ship globally at EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com, and you can use the code Evil Ten, all caps, no spaces, for ten percent off your purchase. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Drink underscore Scream, on Facebook at Drink and Scream, 
And you can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. You know the only thing scarier than the first half of this episode? The second half. Suspiria. Suspiria. dive into my thoughts all your honestly positive. i feel a bit bad because you were actually really nice in all yours i, I thought you would be meaner i didn't want to talk i tried to not talk about the parts i didn't like which was a lot of the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'll preface all of this with saying yeah we did not like this film but i do know that like it was the style of the time for italian cinema to dub all of their films so that was like a big thing for us to get used to watching this movie because the lip flaps don't match the actors speaking. And also they were speaking English, even though the whole point was for the film to be Italian. Yeah. I don't know. The was idea weird. was that they didn't have any audio recording equipment on set, whether that was a limitation or an actual artistic choice. Mm-hmm. So that it didn't pick up any sound effects either, which is why yeah. this, this movie sounds really quiet a lot of the time. And in doing my research for Scaredy Facts, which I will not spoil until we get to that segment, I feel a lot more validated in my feelings about the acting, the plot, and basically everything that happens in this movie. Um, But I will say, we also just, I read off that synopsis. That was three fucking pages in a Word doc or a Google doc, whatever. It seems like a lot happened. And even reading it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty interesting plot. It really wasn't to experience it, though. I think it would have been a better short film, Mm. keeping it to like 20 minutes. You still get the really cool photography and everything that sets the lighting, all of that. But the actual plot that was happening wasn't beefy enough for me. It just got so dragged out and the acting is not believable. And I just oh, my God, (laughs) it was so bad. They had this American actress who had like, she was like, nice, nice face. Like, but there was so much overacting and like a specific point I could point out would be um, when she gets hit with the the sunlight from this knife, which I'm assuming is she's being like manipulated via a spell. Sure. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was obvious. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and when that happens, she like hits the wall, hand goes up to the very like quintessential thing you think of when you think of like 1950s woman fainting. Yeah. But it's so elongated. The Foley and Walla of what's happening to her, the ADR is like so extra. It was like ASMR for 30 <laughs> seconds. And she it definitely was the sounded only like moment. she was enjoying it for sure. Yeah. With the ADR. <laughs> It was not, oh no, I'm fainting. It was like, ooh, hello, I'm fainting. I'm fainting. Ooh, I got to get back to my room before I faint harder. <laughs> um, and it stuck out like a sore thumb and not in a good way. I don't mean it in like, a, oh, this was like highly stylized and like artsy, edgy, cool moment. It was just weird. It did not make sense to me. And it was the only time that this happened, even though a lot of other spells were being cast on the on characters in the movie at other times. So I understand that we like got over the Italian filmmaking that we weren't used to. So that does, even if we're saying we got over it, sure, that can color our pic- our opinions a bit. But at this point, just go watch Rosemary's Baby instead of watching this <laughs> trash, trash movie. I was, <sighs> I was even thinking about it. Like the first part of the movie 
of her getting off the plane, going into the taxi, driving to the school. All of that was really creepy. And then the woman running out and us following her to her hotel where she gets killed. That was all good. I was like, that's a good precedent for this movie. Then it. Oh, then credits rolled. Oh, bye. Bye. It's over. Cecilia. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. The whole middle section was so beefy. There was like no they were it was supposed to be mystery solving. And they did have like the horror elements thrown in for sure. The maggots were creepy or whatever. But there was just something not right about it all. Like I was listing scary things in the synopsis, but it wasn't scary when it was happening to us. Was were the maggots just to make the girls uncomfortable So for wealth? I have no idea. Was this whole movie just a fucking prank show? Like we, ooh, the maggots, ooh, everyone's scared. <laughs> yes, love it. And then going to the, having to all sleep in the auditorium area. <laughs> They're all uncomfortable. Ooh, we put the snoring in there. Yeah, love. Is this just fucking the energy vampire from what we do in the shadows, just gaining power from people feeling uncomfortable? I mean, yeah, that sounds like a good analogy. God, it's so dumb. <laughs> <sighs> And then like the bad attack. We have to talk about this. I I laughed as I said it in the fucking synopsis. It's like four minutes long of this puppet that comes and it's very, very like Meredith in the office getting attacked by a bat. (laughs) And that was actually better that scene than this scene. It was one of those bats you hang from the ceiling and then but they just kept shaking it up and down. So it looked like it was flapping. And it was like big. And it was focused so you could see how fake it looked. And it just it was an added scare, I guess. I don't know. It was so bad. They also had Ugh. like just nothing. You were looking at a wall and then the music would go. I'm glad you brought up and the music. Nothing. Just it, what was it? It's a wall. I'm not uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm confused. Yep. 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 So there's like one song in this movie that happens so much. <laughs> so much. And I did enjoy the music, actually. I thought it was good, except when it was used for the jump scare zingers that were not necessary and weren't nothing actually visual happened. Yeah. And when it was happening towards the end of the film, I think it gets really good. Um, I pointed out to you that it could be like my new phone alarm. Like, oh, I love this song. Yeah. But I actually hate this movie and I can't give it the honor of having its theme song be my alarm. Hey, maybe the 2018 one has a similar sounding track and it's a banger (laughs) movie. (laughs) Yeah. And it didn't add anything to the scenes for me. It was just like good music. It didn't feel like mood setting or like drawing us in. Mm. I was more just like, oh. I I like this tune. I did find the ones there were like a variant where you could it was almost like the coven was laughing during the track, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which I and felt was like whispering. Yeah, I felt that like added a very oppressive vibe, but um, it was a, an oppressive vibe while looking at a hallway yeah. or a woods or a guy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it um, for me, though. That's my thoughts. Uh, I'm like too drained to even come up with like a goof. <laughs> hey, y'all, I ordered Suspiria from 1977. I watched it and uh, the witches that gave me the Reconomicon said, don't open it. But I don't believe witches anymore because of this movie. So, you know, fuck it. It's time to open the Re- <laughs> Suspiria. <laughs> I'm excited to hear what my voice sounds like with the uh, effects. 
having given up at the end of saying Reconomicon. <laughs> so what are you recommending? My recommendation is Gretel and Hansel from 2020. Um, it's like a grim, dark telling of Hansel and Gretel's uh, fairy tale. And I remember genuinely enjoying it. Um, there's feminism, creepy witch aesthetic and very dramatic architecture. It's got like that same cinematic vibe as uh, Suspiria does. Um, and uh, I go watch it. That's Gretel and Hansel from 2020. That was a good movie. Yeah. I did like that movie. That was recommended to us from a listener. Thank you, listener. Appreciate it. My recommendation, I kind of spoiled it for you, is Rosemary's Baby. Nice. From 1967. It's got witchy undertones. It's got a dark coven. It's got cool characters that actually have agency. And it's great. That's Rosemary's Baby from 1968. Awesome. It's time for... Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> This is the part of our show where we try and figure out why this movie was so goddamn awful by going to movie trivia sites, snuggling up on the couch and reading through them together. So come on this journey with us as I tell you about the utter trash. I'm sorry, horror beauty and uh, horror uh, epitome his historia. of <laughs> yeah, epitome of art. <laughs> People are going to drag me so much. You were good in your points. I was bad. I feel like we've, we've given up now. <laughs> <laughs> we were polite at the beginning, but it's the end of the party. We don't have to, we don't have to act anymore. So the budget for this film was 20 million estimated. Ooh. And then just take a guess about the box office sales, unless you already read it, because I just need to know what you guess. Uh, uh, like, uh, Million? My dude. 35,000. <laughs> I don't know how they had to release that bad. Is that like a private party? <laughs> it's incredible. But don't worry, because there is an estimated 5.3 million home release sales, a.k.a. VHS DVD Blu-ray. Are we being like gaslit into thinking like this is some cult classic? Because I mean, it is. That's why there's so many Blu-ray sales. But even. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say, with most most cult <laughs> classics, they've eventually made their uh, money back. But yeah. OK. All right. Now let's dive into why this happened. Director Dario Argento's original idea was that the ballet school would accommodate young girls no older than 12 years. However, the studio and producer denied his request because a film this violent involving children would almost certainly be banned. Mm. Dario raised the age limit of the girls to 20 years, but did not rewrite the script. Hence the naivete of the characters and the occasionally childlike dialogue. He also put all the doorknobs at about the same height as the actresses' heads, so they would have to raise their arms in order to open the doors just like children. Wild. <laughs> Just change the, basically a huge key point of your film, but I'm not going to rewrite it. It'll be fine. Uh, before your next fact, I'm going to do this occasionally between some of your facts. Uh, Star Wars A New Hope came out in 1977. Probably didn't help. <laughs> true, true. Director Dario Argento composed the creepy music with the band Goblin and played it at full blast on set to unnerve the actors <laughs> and elicit a truly scared performance. Wait, so there was just music playing while they're acting the whole time? It gets so much better. I can't wait. Uh, the Rescuers came out. I loved that movie. Oh, that is a good movie. Probably didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
According to Jessica Harper, since the film was going to be dubbed after principal photography, sound was rarely recorded during shooting. Harper remarked that it was so strange to her to be in the middle of shooting a scene and hearing the background sound of stagehands hammering away on another set in the studio. <laughs> a racer head came out. I don't think that hurt, but <laughs> I think a racer head's done better. <laughs> Okay, now this gets wild. Rudolf Schundler, I don't know if I said that right, the West German actor who played the role of Professor Milius, the man who tells her about witches, could not speak English or Italian. So in the scene where he talks with Jessica, Susie, about witches, she could not understand him as he was speaking in German. Harper later quoted that she tried very hard to keep a straight face as to not flub her lines and that also... He would lightly tap on one of her legs with his foot just out of frame to cue her to speak when he was done finishing his own lines. So no actual connection between the actors at all, which then I feel so vindicated about my point about how they suck. That wild. That. mm, Ooh, boy. I even noticed that they had the Italian dubber put a little German mm, finesse on his performance. (laughs) Uh, Pete's Dragon also came out in 1977. Uh, Adorable little film. I didn't include this scaredy fact, but I'm going to just say it now to add to my point about the actor sucking. The other man that is the friend of Sarah that Susie speaks to, he got his lines so late that he had to be fed them off screen by a stagehand who just would like read the script and he would say them to her. Why even? They don't even know what they're saying as they're speaking it. Okay, so now it makes more sense how adorable their interaction was if they were supposed to be 12. Um, Okay. Uh, The Hills Have Eyes came out in 1977, so Mm, that couldn't mm -hmm, have helped. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, these two are back to interesting and less me dragging the film because I thought it was good to end on a a high note. Mm. Jessica Harper said in interviews that the most frightening scene in the film for her was the grand finale where everything explodes and shatters around her as she flees the academy. I mean understand. She said that the rigged explosions were really unnerving because they went off extremely close (laughs) to her. (laughs) Oof. Yeah I mentioned it was also around that time where safety wasn't much of a concern. Yeah. All right. For sure. I'm going to do three more because you said this was your last one right? My last one's here yeah. House. Saturday Night Fever and The Spy Who Loved Me all came out in 1977. So they could <laughs> not have helped. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Last one. Director. What the wow. Director. That's all. Director Dario Argento was inspired to make this film by stories of co-writer Daria Nicolodi's grandmother, who claimed to have fled from a German music academy because witchcraft was being secretly practiced there. Mm. So based on a true story, perhaps. Uh, they're all based on true stories. Smokey and the Bandit came out in 1977. <laughs> <laughs> Burt Reynolds. He, he, Burt Reynolds is the reason that uh, Suspiria didn't succeed in the box office. Confirmed. Found it. Yep. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap this up. Hit me with your final thoughts. Uh, okay, I'm going to get real with everyone. <clears throat> so sit down next to me on the couch. Here, uh, I got I to tell you something. As an avid horror movie watcher yet somebody who suffers from intense imposter syndrome i do feel the urge to try and like this movie i understand i get it all the voices in your head telling you this must be a classic and you just don't get it i will say it now with the authority that doing this podcast has bestowed upon us, you are absolved of the guilt of not liking the original Suspiria. You are hereby allowed to not like <laughs> Suspiria. I, you're welcome. 
<laughs> I hold out judgment for the 2018 one. We haven't seen it yet. So we'll, yeah. we'll see if that one's a good one. Oddly, I still want to watch that version and see if it's better. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, strike three. <laughs> My final thought is something that Kelly already said during their points, which is save yourself the trouble and just look at stills on the Internet of this film. You'll get the gist of the only worthwhile parts of this movie. It's set design. Truth. And you can look at that taxi scene where there's a reflection of her screaming, which is the director, actually. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, And I no longer believe that it was intentional. (laughs) He says it was. I think that he was. Working on uh, the set behind the taxi and hit his thumb while they were filming. (laughs) Well, that's been Suspiria, a movie about all of the extreme edges of the color wheel. Next week, we'll be watching The Hunt from 2020. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah, Suspiria. (laughs) Suspiria. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 